Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and we are back and with uh, a very interesting topic. I'm looking forward to getting into this tonight and uh, talking with our guests. Uh, before we can get to any guests, though, as you all know from listening to past episodes, we have to bring in my co-host, Sam Bradley, without whom we wouldn't have guests most of the, the weeks we have shows because she really takes care of the lion's share of scheduling our topics each week. So, uh, Sam, uh, how, happy to have you back on the show, and uh, we're kind of digging in now uh, um, post-holiday uh, or in between two holidays and getting ready to wrap up the year. Yes, we are. Again, I think we're getting close to 10 years now, Jamie. That's pretty amazing. And, of course, we couldn't have done that without Dr. Joe Holly. How are you, Joe? Hi, Sam. Hi, Jamie. And I, I, I'm, it's good to know that I have not aged 10 years. <laughs> Well, I tell you, it's been pretty mild here, but you guys have had some nasty weather in Tennessee. Uh, we have had a bit. It's uh, It's been a bit stormy and uh, a little bit unseasonably warm, but I think this uh, big uh, system that's moving in is going to change all that for us over the next few days. It probably will. Well, we have Dr. Riley Jones with us tonight, and the two of us were tasked by our uh, nonprofit organizations to work together on a special project which we will tell you about. Um, and at first, and so welcome, Riley. Uh, thank you for having me. So why don't you tell us a little about yourself and then tell us about MedGlobal, because I don't think we talked much about them in the past. Uh, sure, happy, happy to do so. Um, so, um, so my name is Riley Jones. I'm an internal medicine trained hospitalist um, based in Gainesville, Florida at the University of Florida. Um, I have a background in tropical medicine um, as well as uh, biostatistics and uh, global health and a a specific niche area of global health um, that focuses on conflict and security issues. Um, And I work as an assistant professor of uh, clinical medicine and then the director for the global health residency track at the University of Florida. Excellent. So how long have you been involved with Bed Global? And, and again, I don't think we've talked much about them. We certainly have about IDMC because that's where I am. But I'd like to know more about them, and I think the rest of us would too. Sure. Um, so, so Med Global, um, so it's a humanitarian aid organization. We focus uh, primarily in the medical realm. Um, we were uh, formally founded in 2017 um, in the midst of the Arab Spring uh, and humanitarian crises that sort of developed uh, in the setting of that, um, uh, primarily from the Syrian conflict. The organization uh, is uh, essentially based out of Chicago. Uh, however, we work um, globally. Our offices are are virtual, and we're all all around the globe. Uh, we've worked in uh, 27 countries, I believe, at uh, at our last count. We have our largest operations are um, in. Uh, uh, Ukraine, uh, Colombia, Venezuela, Syria, and Bangladesh, as, as well as Yemen. We've, those are where our, our largest operations are. So MedGlobal as an organization, um, we have many different aspects to the work that we do. Um, uh, in many cases, it's direct patient care uh, services. We do a lot of public health interventions, and, uh, and we work very, very carefully um, to work um, in collaboration with 
um, uh, local ministries of health, local partners um, in ways that um, that add uh, uh, value and uh, support local healthcare systems. Um, the other areas that we tend to focus in, uh, we we really work to identify vulnerable communities, um, uh, which is a major focus for the uh, for the organization. Um, and then, of course, we respond to humanitarian crises, whether uh, man-made or, or natural. The type of programming that we tend to run, um, they tend to focus on train-the-trainer models. Um, so we do a lot of point-of-care ultrasound uh, training, a lot of maternity, maternal um, community health workers, famine response programs. And then here lately, unfortunately, um, at the beginning of our front founding in 2017 uh, to now, our chemical weapons uh, preparedness and chemical weapons attacks, and then also how to protect um, healthcare systems uh, when they're when they when they suffer um, targeted attacks by um, by uh, by militaries. Really? Yeah. Well, just just to kind of let people know how we work together. Um, and we have other organizations involved too, but Med Global's like our main partner. They have the boots on the ground folks there. We supply logistics and intel mostly, and also look at the safety side. If we, if they have people in country, we're going to have a plan to get them out if it hits the fan, and we've actually had to do that a couple times. Um, so we have a special project, and I guess that came from the Ministry of Health in Ukraine, right, Charlie? Uh, that's correct. And what would that project be? <laughs> well, um, so um, so when we first uh, went into Ukraine, um, we were we were there. I want to say within um, a couple of weeks of the of the outbreak of the war, um, we or I should say this phase of the war. Um, we we went in we uh, went in through the Polish border into Lviv and met with the Ministry of Health. Um, the first person we met was Awa Kazim, and um, and we we established contacts, just introduced ourselves, um, and, uh, and and tried to lend an ear to understand where were the stress points that they were already experiencing um, there um, in the country. The other thing that we did earlier in, you know, this is early in the war, there's a lot of uncertainty. We were able to share our experience dealing with healthcare attacks and healthcare acute stresses uh, on the system uh, that we had endured in Syria and able to give some uh, sort of perspective um, uh, in, in those early phases of the conflict and things to expect, in particular with Russian attacks uh, on healthcare um, facilities um, as the war would progress. Um, and so we, we, we struck up a very good, um, uh, relationship and we've, uh, we've maintained that. So we have regular meetings where we're in uh, Kiev or Lviv, um, uh, I want to say every couple of weeks. Um, and we have, um, our, our national staff that are there, um, uh, all the time. And, and we have moving targets of the different needs. And so early on, it was preparing health systems for, you know, you know, how, you know, when a healthcare system, when a healthcare facility is bombed, how does it actually look? Well, you know, you lose the top three floors and, um, you know, and they, they know which areas of the hospital are the most sensitive um, uh, to, uh, to patients. And then the chemical weapons attacks. 
Now, as the war has has moved um, into a new uh, winter, the first time we got there, it was one of the coldest experiences I've ever had. And um, and I'm, I'm I'm not kidding about this. There were people still walking around in short sleeves uh, while oh, I was there, um, and uh, just in- incredible resilience, obviously. But um, but so in preparation for this coming winter, we met with um, Irina uh, Mikachuk. Um, she's the deputy minister of health. Um, and we knew that um, that the infrastructure attacks uh, that we are currently seeing, we, we knew that these were on the horizon. And so we've already been preparing for a cold winter season. And the specific uh, area that we've been tasked with is trying to help uh, with the um, uh, with the health system uh, in Ukraine to supply them with uh, thermal underwear uh, for their healthcare workers. One of the the scenarios that, that that they shared was that you know a lot of their patients you know the, their patients can can be under plenty of blankets, but their healthcare workers you know they're having to run around hospitals with no heating and in most cases no electricity, and they don't have even their clothes. And in a lot of these places, the you know the healthcare you know staff they have stayed even though all of their you know their homes have been bombed or burned and things like that, so they don't have any clothes to wear. As we're just trying to keep everybody operating, um, you know, as comfortably and as safely as we can, um, and that is through um, right now is through uh, these thermal underwear units. So we've specifically been asked for 76,000 units of um, uh, of thermal underwear. At Med Global, so far we've been able to get 16,000 units um, so far, and um, uh, and that has been a, a very piecemeal operation. It's been a lot of people, as we're going in, we're taking as many suitcases full of these things as we can. And so that's what we're specifically uh, tasked with right now. Um, and and winter, is, winter is upon us, and, um, and the, the sense of urgency is definitely there. Well, we're working on our end. I have someone who's contacting the, the larger companies to see if they can make a donation. So, And our other... Uh, nonprofit partners as well, so hopefully we'll get some of them warm. Uh, it's just hard to imagine the conditions they're working under. I know the, the surgeons are doing surgery under flashlights. Um, I can't hardly imagine that. What about you, Joe? Yeah, yeah, I was just thinking that uh, and, and wondering, particularly related to sort of specialty situations like that, are there any special requirements or um, uh, the products that are specifically in need for, for example, the, the operating suite? Well, um, so right now it's, um, uh, it's, it's just going to be basic, uh, thermal clothing. Um, you know, I mean, these, uh, uh, if, if you've not been to Ukraine, a lot of their hospitals are very nice, very large, actually huge hospitals. Um, with um, with all the same um, technology and the, the hallways look uh, in many cases just like we would find in you know in Chicago or here in Gainesville, um, and so so you know just putting yourself into perspective it, you know of well you know if you were to show up to work and it was um, you know 30 degrees um, in the ER. Um, you know, what would you put on? You know, what would you wear? And, and so that's what we've been um, uh, operating with. And so, you know, in that, you know, in that way, just adding on different layers uh, of clothing. Um, so in that way, you're, you know, that, that prevents the, you know, you don't have too much bulk um, so that you can still operate, you know, with your hands freely. 
in a lot of these operating rooms, um, the rooms are, are very cold. They are very dark. Um, and our main focus there has been on safe operating technique and also um, the reduction in surgical site infections. Um, and so, you know, with, uh, you know, with your surgical gowns, you're able to put on those layers underneath that. And so, so we've been treating that pretty much the same as, uh, as any of the other healthcare workers. Well, on top of that, they, they, you know, it's, they may not have any electricity or heat at their whole, their homes either. So, you know, it's not just working in the hospital. Joe, you had another question? Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to know if this, uh, 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 effort includes the pre-hospital providers. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Um, uh, so that um, the I don't have the specifics on exactly how this goes out, but I know that for each hospital that we're paired with, um, they have um, sort of their you know their EMS networks, um, and we're we're taking them to their hospital to the to the hospitals, um, and they're distributing them both within the hospital to their EMS services um, and, um, and everybody in their networks. I should point out for, for any donors, the specific mandate that we're given here is, um, is, is applying these to healthcare workers. Now, under the Geneva Conventions, that's an important distinction because you're not supporting any, um, any um, uh, technically any parties to the conflict. And so anybody is, is able to make uh, uh, donations without any violation of any mandates, such that I'm aware, um, in any of the Western world. Jamie, thoughts? Well, no, that, that, that's an important distinction, um, Riley, because, you know, some people would be concerned with that and, and how does this material support for one side or the other in this conflict, um, even though in my eyes there's there's really a, a single aggressor involved here. Um, but it, it is it is still an important distinction to let people be aware of so that they can, they can give with a, with a clean conscience that they're just helping the healthcare workers in, in these situations. And I know that we've talked to several people that have been involved with work over there. Um, and, you know, they've talked a little bit about um, making sure that the, the right equipment gets to the right places that, that actually can be used. And I, I like this process that you're involved with because everyone can use long underwear to uh, stay warm in the wintertime. That's, that's a it's almost universal need. Exactly. Exactly. The other thing that's been very fortunate um, in this particular um, conflict has been the coordination with the ministry of health. Um, this is not something that we have enjoyed in, um, in several of our other uh, theaters that there's a good, um, you know, organization and communication of, you know, where things are going. So, so things are, they're just, they're well coordinated and it's not a mountain of things showing up all to one hospital in Lviv where all the surrounding hospitals are getting nothing. Uh, so that's, that's been one of the, the big, um, uh, uh, benefits that we've, um, that we've been able to, to take advantage of, um, with the ministry of health. Uh, to support them, um, you know, as they're, you know, trying to manage the needs of a of a really huge country. Exactly. And I can't imagine trying to do good patient care when it's 28 degrees. Um, <laughs> I'm not attuned to that level of cold. But we'll, oh, uh, yeah. we'll let you know where to contact us. But just one more question, Riley. 
What are some of the things that you have been personally involved in, some of the deployments? And I also noticed you mentioned you have two daughters that sometimes go along with you. I found that interesting. Um, yes, um, so that's true. Um, uh, now, I don't take them into Ukraine with me. I, I will <laughs> disclose that right off the, right off the bat. Um, but um, in a lot of these other places that I work, um, I, do, I do take them. Um, often, um, my, my specific area of, um, of familiarity, um, I never call myself an expert in anything, but would be, um, the, you would call it post-conflict health system reconstruction. And my area of specialty is in um, reconstructing health systems after civil wars. Which is a very unique situation to be in, um, because you know, you know, let's say a peace declaration uh, is called in you know some far-off city by generals that nobody's ever seen before, and you know, and at the end of a civil war, the average civil war goes on for like you know ten years, a little, little over ten years, and people don't just throw down their guns and show up to work the next day. And so, how do you take a system, you know, a, a society where the, you know, where the social fabric is is so tattered through ten years of that, um, and get people to start working together and um, and, and trying to rebuild, a, you know, a positive functioning society? And one of the the, the specific uh, things that we try to do are what we call health bridges through peace, and that's where we we identify things that everybody can identify as a universal you know, imperative, um, regardless of where their politics are or where their, their conflict-related grievances are. And, uh, and healthcare is one of those things. Um, you know, everybody can agree that children need vaccines or that, um, you know, that, um, that um, women need maternal, um, maternal care, you know, in, you know, as they're going through pregnancy. So you identify those um, those things that we can all agree on, and that's a little peace island uh, that we can to build around, and that's actually been successful in in several different places. So, so these are the types of things that I tend to work on, and those are in post conflict areas. And so, um, and so I, I, I do try to take my family because um, my my wife, uh, her name Rachel Rachel Jones. She also she's a medical anthropologist um, by training, and so so we 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 work together, and and we've identified for our, our one life together that we want to keep our family together, and so we're we're very risk aware, and we're you know very cautious with our with our children, but um, but we keep the family together, and that's important to us. Well, and and you're giving them the kind of experiences that kids don't usually get. And, you know, it shows them there's other things going on in the world and that they can be part of something good um, if they follow in your footsteps. So hopefully that'll be the case. Joe, you had a question. Well, and a couple of comments, actually, uh, although I have many more after this last little segment. What a what a phenomenal uh, area to work in. And kudos to you and your wife for incorporating your kids into that. It, it what a, an amazing experience uh, that's got to be for them and for you guys as well. So kudos on that. Um, my my initial comment or question was related to a little bit about what you just said, and that is the challenges to getting the things done that you're trying to get done. And specific to Ukraine, I was just curious if you guys have uh, had significant 
concerns over security? Have you um, are, are you seen as a, a target because you're trying to help the Ukrainians, et cetera? And has that impacted your operations there at all? Um, absolutely. Um, so, um, so number one, it, the the first when we first got there, um, there is a very very unique situation. We were you know we were going in and and we got there and it was a strange um, strange thing that we encountered. You know, we 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 were going in and we we knew that you know ICRC and MSF and everybody was talking about okay you know we're going to start gearing up and doing all this Ukraine stuff. And we got there and there were, nobody was there. And so we had this um, sort of this uh, front row seat uh, with the uh, Ministry of Health um, uh, to meet with and, you know, and try to help however we could. Um, the, all of those meetings uh, for the entire time that we there we were there, it, at the longest stretch that we went without rocket attacks uh, was eight hours. And it's just around the clock. And um, and at some point, we just decided, like, well, you know, we've got to continue our meetings, and we're just going to continue them down in these uh, down in these bunkers. Um, so um, so that was that was one component. The other component was um, we were going in, and we were you know we were looking at uh, we were in Lviv, and we were um, we we're trying to figure out you know which which direction were we going to go. Um, Further in, where we're going to go to Kiev, Venitsa, um, you know uh, these different places. And while we were there, there was a massive attack uh, just outside of Lviv, and I want to say it was like 120 people, 130 something people showed up, um, and um, you know, and so that that pretty much stopped our advance at, uh, for that, you know, for that week. Um, and we spent the rest of the time. We we took this gigantic bus and just loaded with. this empty bus and so we're we're taking people back out of ukraine um that were already not able to be um, handled a lot of um uh, civilians uh, women and children um, some elderly um uh, family members so um so so i mean within days there was already that um that that very apparent reach all the way to the western border of the country and you're driving down a road and we know that um uh, the Wagner group, we know that they're in the area. We don't know exactly where they are. Um, we're driving down the road and we can see areas where there is spray painting on the roads. And we know, we, we learned later on um, that at night, um, uh, operatives will go into the area and they will spray paint uh, different areas to target um, um, important, you know, sections of road or, or things like that. And so, and that was already there in, in Western Ukraine within days of the, of the start of the conflict. So, um, so those are some of the things, um, uh, that we experienced right off the bat. It's hard to imagine, but we really appreciate what you and Med Global are doing, especially when you're willing to put yourself in that situation. But, you know, it's like somebody asked to Jamie. Yeah. Now, Riley, I'm I'm curious. You know, looking at your own personal training and preparation for doing something like this. I mean, is there anything that you did in your your undergraduate and your med school training or, or subsequent to that 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 prepared you better for this kind of work, or is this something that just came from a passion to be able to help? 
So, um, so I have to say, it, it did. Everything was born out of a passion. Um, and I, I look back at my training CV and everything, and it's a bunch of different opportunities where I saw, oh, there's going to be this thing in Houston next weekend, you know, and I'm trying to get to Houston to go do, you know, training in the Istanbul Protocol um, or. Uh, you know, or tropical medicine training, you know, at uh, ASTMH, um, uh, you know, and so, you know, you start to accumulate those things. Um, and then at some point, um, you know, suddenly I'm able to answer questions that, you know, that um, that I, I didn't think I was able to answer. Um, uh, and so that's, that's how that, um, that's how I got to where I am now. One of the things that we're trying to do, um, this is not just me at, at that University of Florida, but at several other institutions, we're trying to formalize it. You know, global health is such a big field and it means so many different things. And there's this one niche community of people who they are humanitarians and it's hard to get that humanitarian training and the understanding of, well, yeah, and we know how to treat malnutrition, but do you know how to treat it in a place where um, everybody is trying to steal food from malnourished babies in order to fund their ongoing, you know, uh, war machine. So understanding, you know, how we do healthcare in politically um, and um, ethically difficult uh, places. Um, you know, we're, there's a there's a network of us that are trying to formalize that training because there's so much that's there to learn and it's so important to so many people. That would be awesome. What do you think about that, Joe? No, my words exactly. How incredible would that be? And please, as soon as you are close to that, please let us know. We'd love to get access to it. No, of course, of course, yeah. Um, yeah, and a lot of it's, uh, I'd say it's uh, it's, it's a lot of trial and error. Um, if you ask me, like, you know, what do I know? It's really, what you know, how many different ways have I messed this up in the past? That's That's what I would say. <laughs> trial and error, huh? Best kind of education. Well, speaking of education, Jamie, here we are again. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and I just want to you know, say, Joe, you know, this kind of falls right into talking about the the need for people who have specific types of experience to do specific types of education. You know, Riley's talking about taking that, that, that accumulated knowledge of being a humanitarian aid worker um, and somehow formalizing it or putting it into an, a, the ability to pass that knowledge on to others who can then go out and do that same type of work. Um, that sounds very similar to what you try to do with Paragon Medical Education Group. Oh, it does indeed. I mean, what a, what a phenomenal uh, skill set, knowledge uh, set, and, and talent uh, that, that we would love to access. You know, it's a whole different area uh, that's related but different from, uh, you know, the, the disaster type stuff that we usually teach. When um, people are thinking about doing some kind of training about austere medicine or or training for disaster preparedness events and response, um, wh- where can they reach out to Paragon to find out more about what you do? Well, you can find us on the web at paragonmedicalgroup.com or on Facebook at Paragon Medical Group, or you can always reach us through the Disaster Podcast or the Disaster Podcast Facebook page. Excellent. Riley, is there um, an, an email address or someplace that people can find out more about what kind of things you and your organization are working on? 
Oh, yes, of course. Um, so um, so our landing page is medglobal.org, M-E-D-G-L-O-B-A-L.org. Um, uh, if anybody wants to uh, to reach out to me directly, um, I am happy to talk their ear off, uh, and I am at jones at medglobal.org. What about um, giving specific donations for this particular effort of accumulating uh, the long underwear, the thermal underwear for um, you know people to stay warm, providing care in the wintertime? You can send yeah, that so, to Riley at MedGlobal mm-hmm. or to me at IDMC, and that's sbradley at idmc.us. Excellent. Well, I'm glad we got that um, out there um, because this is an important effort, and there's a lot of people, not just the big companies, but, you know, even from a grassroots effort, um, you know, uh, I think we talked before we actually started recording that we can um, we can source a full set of long underwear for around $11. So, you know, even a small donation can go a long way to getting somebody in a position to stay warm while they're working on patient care. Exactly. It yeah, was. I had the thought. Um, I had the thought that everybody buys their Christmas PJs that they could just pair with a with a physician and nurse in Ukraine uh, on Christmas Day. What an awesome idea! That I is a great that. idea. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to. We'll definitely make that um, the plea in the show notes for this episode, and and remind people how to get in touch with Sam and Riley um, to make those contributions. And uh, we do appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you, everybody. Sam, you know, a great, great call to bring Riley in here for this episode. Um, you know, I, I I can't even imagine. I mean, I, of course, I've been out on calls on in the field when it's been pretty cold, but I've always had a, a warm ambulance to retreat to and a warm hospital to get to. I can't imagine what it must be like to pick up a patient in the cold and take them to a cold hospital. Exactly, and I, because you, know, you know, in the winter when you take patients to a hospital, at least they know they'll be warm, and unfortunately that's not the case there. But I feel so honored to be able to work with people like Riley and 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 Med Global and some of the other organizations that that we work with because they're all humanitarians and they're doing everything they can for other healthcare workers. 